My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they tell me how to shoot with a steady hand. Hey, everybody, and welcome to All American Wing Shooting Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Ed Byers. I met you at SCI convention this year after one of the most phenomenal speeches I've ever heard in my life. Well, <laughs> very kind. And it was, it was really nice meeting you and, and I'm looking forward to enjoying the next hour or so with you and talking yeah, so about shooting. Still to this day, Chad and I talk about your speech because like, I can't quote you on anything that you said, but I will never forget the way that the room felt and um like everybody there is just so proud to be an american and you're just telling your story like it was no big deal and we're all like thinking this is the most incredible thing we've ever heard in our lives i don't know how many people were in that room but it was packed in vegas for sci convention sold out and um you captivated that space and and i hope that they replay your speech over and over and over i will admit i got the link so i can watch it whenever i want to <laughs> Or share it, you know, if we want to have a movie night kind of thing. Well, again, you're very kind. I got to tell you, it, being there and having the energy of the room really does play uh, a lot to the what you take away from when somebody speaks or what have you. So it's, it's a little bit different when you watch it back, you know, again on a, on a rerun. But if mm -hmm. they're in person, it, it definitely makes the for the experience. That's for right. Sure. So like maybe if they weren't there and they just watched the video, it may not feel the same. But for us that are watching it, that was there, like we probably get more fired up. I like it. You know, like next level. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Ed Byers, he is a Navy SEAL, earned Medal of Honor and um, from Afghanistan. Right. Mission right. in Afghanistan. So. Um, you just gave this incredible speech, motivated us to be proud Americans. And what you didn't know was I was in the process, which has been a long process of putting my goals and mission together for this all American Upland brand and showcasing, you know, just the American heart, the, the heart of the hunter here and so it's just so cool because we meet all these cool people. I mean, SCI convention is probably one of the most fun places to ever be. And now that it's coming to Nashville, it's going to be so over the top. I don't know if they'll ever be able to leave. Um, yeah. So it, it was just amazing to see everybody that is a leader in their world come to one place and we were all on the same page. It was, it was just so amazing. Well, to, uh, be transparent with everybody uh, that's that's listening to this. It was my first time ever attending an SCI, so mine to too. Attend, to attend it and also be uh, be up on stage, you know, with the, the likes of Don Jr. and Tucker Carlson and things of that nature, uh, it was a really memorable experience. And to just walk around and and see the impact that this organization, which I hadn't had a lot of touch points with until then and got to understand really what uh where the future is going from a conservationist standpoint when it when it comes to hunting and, and what that brings to the table and not only in our country here but 
definitely over in, in Africa, which is probably where the, the biggest topics surround the hunting world from a conservationist standpoint. So, right. And then, you know, the thing that SCI does that makes me so proud and the reason why I wanted to work with them, even though they're not known for showcasing, uh, the upland lifestyle or wing shooting is because they're first for hunters and they have their lobbyist team that's constantly working in um in capitol hill and dc fighting for our gun rights and things are happening all over the country that we never hear about so i mean like for instance during um ag session here in georgia just a few weeks ago some bill got slipped in and proposed about uh keeping that you couldn't have a dog that lived outside. Okay, well, that would be detrimental to the state with all the farms, people with their great Pyrenees, you know, or their herding dog, whatever that lives on the farm. And then all of the plantations down South with outdoor kennels, it would have turned this place upside down. And people don't think about like that these things are actually happening, right? But SCI is there to take care of it before anybody even knows, which is kind of like your job, right? Like your job was to take care of things before all of us knew that there was even a problem. Um, so they do that for us as hunters and it's so special. The people are just so real and kind and caring. I would say SCI has brought me some of my best friends. Yeah, I'd be think, you know, in all reality, you're exactly you have to have people working behind the scenes and it and it takes a massive network of people to do that because every law is different we have in our country alone we're going to have 50 different laws that are governing various hunting rights and and uh the entire environment around that that industry and that subject and so if you don't have people who are you know or just truly means something to them and, and what it represents and understands why it's so important. It's super easy to get lost in that. I mean, we just, we just ran through uh, up in Virginia, the, the same thing. F thankfully we flipped uh, the, the governor up here, but I mean, there was a real touch point from, you know, our, from a long gun perspective, you know, we, whatever one likes to, classify as the AR and even suppressors, which is a, another, uh, res respectful, you know, the, the idea of the suppressor of just being a, a way to, to go out and hunt and be hearing safe. So you can actually enjoy the surroundings and enjoy, you know, talking to people yet still engage in the sport of, of hunting. It, you know, those were all on the table to go away. Mm -hmm. And we almost lost it. We almost uh, we almost lost it. And and thankfully, people started to realize that if they don't step up and, and start start voting, that they're going to lose these these rights that they cherish. And and so we got lucky, and now we're back on the right path up here, I believe. So yeah, we need we need more Ted Nugent's out there sharing <laughs> right. what's really going on and getting the attention of people that because I was oblivious to this. I mean, being from North Georgia and everybody in my circle was a hunter. Like, I don't, I know people that may not hunt or may, but I don't think I know anybody from my childhood that was like against it. I don't remember that even being a topic. So um, when I got into this, I was like, holy smokes, we have so much to share because, and then all the lot, like my entire childhood I took for granted because 
you know, that that was just normal life. Yeah, your, yours was a little bit, a little bit different than mine. I, I grew up in Northwest Ohio. Uh, I grew up on a farm. My dad was in construction, though, so we didn't really do any of the farming. We sublet it out. And I, I grew up my entire life without having a weapon. And so I never, really? I never had a rifle. I never had a shotgun. I never fired a, a real weapon until I was in the military. And so I had BB guns and stuff like that, but, you know, and, but everyone around me was seemed to be into the hunting and in fishing, you know, world. And because of my dad and doing construction and everything else, I was in that side of the world. And I just, he just never, never uh, let me own a rifle or anything like that. So I, I didn't know anything about that, doing that, except for my affinity to want to join the military. And, and uh, I, that was part of my, you know, part of my speech. Uh, what I gave, you know, at SCI was it surrounded that exact concept of it's really hard for Sometimes people don't relate that, you know, I spent 21 years in the military, but my entire childhood, I never, never picked up a real weapon. <laughs> so well, Robbie was talking about the same thing. He didn't hunt in Africa, but one time, and he was 16 on a dove shoot. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it is more and more scarce for, that you don't grow up in a hunting family, especially now everybody's playing ball. So you get people that are playing ball year round when my oldest daughter was, she showed horses and then she got this thing where like all of her friends were going to try for cheerleading. And I was like, if you want to cheer, that's up to you. But if you think this mom is going to give up my Friday nights going, you know, driving to Huntland to go watch you with your pom-poms, like I'm not going to do that, you know? And I mean, I know that was probably such a snobby thing of a mom, but now where she's gone, it was definitely worth me putting it in that perspective, you know, but, um, cause she was at SCI convention with us too, but we actually connected there over a conversation about pheasant hunting. Yes. And it was so loud that night. Like we didn't really get to talk that much. Um, but Phil put us together and I was like, I cannot wait for that season to roll back around. Well, that is definitely on a list of things we got to go do. And, and the place I was talking about was up in, uh, South Dakota, uh, it's called Thunderstick and it's in Chamberlain. So it's, it's right on the, it's right where, which geography wise, it was interesting. It's right with the beginning where the, uh, I believe the Missouri river starts and then it runs, ends up running into the Mississippi. Don't quote me on that. Uh, all those that are going to Google the geography there, but I, I believe that's the case. And, uh, but that, that really was, uh, the second, the second hunt I ever went on in, in my life. So, you know, back when I was talking about, I didn't grow up hunting. Well, I didn't actually go and on a, uh, animal hunt until 2000 and, uh, late 2015. So I had already been in the military 16, six, uh, I'm sorry, 17 years at that point. And, and so you're overseas doing the other, the other type of hunting, and you're gone so, so much that you don't have time to come back, especially when you have a family and, you know, young kids and just trying to, you know, go home two months, maybe, you know, three months out of the year. 
you know, at the height of everything, there, there isn't time on the plate to go away for a hunting trip for a week or a week and a half, you know, somewhere. Yeah. So, um, but good, but Thunderstick was a incredible, incredible place, just world-class, world-class pheasant hunting up there. And so, so how did that go your first trip? how did they set you up there? Well, I went up with, uh, I went up with a, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Lou, who, uh, you, you had met, uh, there at SEI. And so I went up with his, uh, with his father-in-law who got really big into, uh, into shooting and, and, and mainly pheasant hunting and, and, and working the, the dogs in the, in the, in the, in the rows of, of the corn stalks and things of that nature. And, and it was just, okay. It's like, how do you do this? And so I'm used to, it's, it's really weird to say that it was weird talking about it in my in speech is like, here, I, you know, I'm going on these hunting trips and I'm, I'm very comfortable doing that overseas against, uh, our enemies. But now I'm like, okay, I've never shot with any of you. And now we're online and we're walking through the fields together and everybody's swinging their guns kind of like all around, at least my perspective, because we have very tight gun discipline. And so, uh, <laughs> um, like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, the pheasants pop out, they're fast and they're shots. And then you feel this little spray of, uh, you know, spray of shot that, you know, it's kind of coming your way. Like, what? Well, like, I think we're shooting a little too close to each other, but no, it, it, all, all was fine. And, and no, no, no serious, uh, you know, safety concerns, but, you know, sh shooting a shotgun like that is much different than shooting rifle. It's, you know, it's, it's much more spread, right. Not, not as, not as the, the precision as, as you have with a, with a, a rifle round. So. Oh, I know. And so sitting in the dove field or whatever, it's normal. It's like, you better have your hat and your sunglasses on because you're gonna, you're gonna get sprayed. It's just the way that it is. It's going to rain down on you and nobody really thinks anything about it. Right. Unless somebody's shooting low, but as long as the horizon, your guns, the muzzles above the horizon, you're good. Or the yeah. tower shoots. Like, have you been to a tower shoot yet? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. Well, y'all have to do that. That is fine. I'll I'm sure there are all different kinds and, and classes, but the one that we tend to go to here in Georgia at South Fork, they play like old school country when you rotate and okay. they're, they're like talking trash in the, um, in the microphone and like people that are missing and they'll have a dance contest and stuff. I mean, it is, is really so much fun. And then it's just a big cookout afterwards. Um, or you can do more of, you know, the English style and show up and tweet and have your, like it person loading your gun for you whatever but yeah so i would say i think well i mean because upland hunting or or duck hunting was not my first intro into hunting i didn't start that until like eight years ago when i got my dog but i from like what i know now it is the best way to get people involved now it is super hard because you're you're shooting a moving target and you've got to learn safety. You got to watch for the dogs. You know, there's so many elements to that, but if you're with the right guy with a really steady dog, it is so much fun because you keep engaged with people. And, and it's the only type of hunting where it's acceptable to go to a preserve or plant a bird style hunt. Right. So 
from my perspective and the things that I've shared, you know, through SCI and working with them is that you get started, you don't have to know anything. You don't even have to have gear. You just show up, have a great time. Somebody hold your hand. If you decide that you want to get more serious and get your own dog and go, you know, tackle public ground, all that stuff, the opportunities are literally endless. But if you just enjoy this um, preserve life, like there's lodges and you can go any style you want. But if you do, I've got a dog climbing up in my lap right now. I don't know why she's not really so needy. But so when you, um, if you end up going and, and tackling, you know, the West and hiking mountains after Chucker and all that stuff, and then you kind of age out of that, you know, you can't do that for forever. And you can always come back to that preserve life. And like, there's a group of older guys that are out at our local preserve here on Saturday afternoons and they run their dogs and who cares, you know, really how their dogs were formed now after all these years they're just still proud to have them and then they cook out on coleman stoves right on their tailgate and there's a full-blown kitchen and barbecue and everything at the at the lodge house but they just love using their coleman stove and sitting in the field and it's just really special you know i i love that you you mentioned all, all those and and it's for those that haven't done it you know, that the hunting in this manner, it, it's what really makes it uh, special, right? It's, it's, it's different than maybe an elk hunting and stuff like that. Like you, you, you'll sit up on a ridgeline by yourself. I mean, you know, you gotta be, and this is a little bit, this is different. You're with a bunch of people, you're getting to know them. You're, you kind of, it's, I don't want to use the, the, the term too loosely, but you're, you're, you're roughing it a little bit right and the greatest thing about you're not roughing it at thunder sticks <laughs> no no i mean but i mean sometime you get out there i mean we've been out there it's been freezing so you're out there oh god yeah all day yeah. long you're out there all day long and you're you know your hands getting pretty numb and stuff like that right so in a sense it's it's different than what the way our, a lot of our society's trending right now it's where everything is you know in the metaverse and in your in front of a computer and you never leave your house because everything can be delivered to you. Right. So they don't even step outside for five minutes a day to get some sunlight, which is, you know, the, where a lot of stuff is trending to, and, and especially because, you know, I, I can't, I can't wait till we never have to say the word again, but you know, the past two years that we experienced, right. They just shut everybody down and, and it, except for the bird dog world, except my, for that, right. My redneck tournament hunting never stopped. We tournament hunted all the whole entire time. And I'm talking, we, it, we were oblivious that that even happened. It was like full buffet, barbecue meals. I mean, nobody even paid attention that it was going on. Yeah. And that's awesome. You know, and, and to, to, to finish out the thought there was you, you, you hit it right on the head was you don't even have to have anything because if you show up and you're new to the sport there's someone that's extremely eager yes. to want to just share everything with you because it's exciting right it's like ah there's somebody else joining and it's just i think it's just the temperament and the mentality of those that uh, that uh take up this sport it's somebody's always got an extra shotgun and you know who doesn't love dogs right and right. and uh and somebody's always got an extra pair of boots or an extra pair of gloves or a coat or, you know, a, a vest to put some shells in or, or, or whatever. And, and it's just, 
And then what you have after all that, after your quote unquote, you know, day of roughing is then you get to come back and enjoy some good times with, you know, uh, caveman TV and, and some good old, uh, you know, you know, grilling on the, on the stove and, and, you know, some adult libations. Right. And so, and then and just sit around and, and uh, shoot the shit and, and just get to know people and, and talk about the experiences. And so I think that doesn't happen that much anymore. I don't, there's not a t- many venues where you get to do that. You just went to NASCAR and NASCAR is probably one that you get to really just do that because it's still that very much baked in that country mentality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, that's unlike every other, any other sporting event out there. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know. And South Dakota's like that. It's like everywhere you go, they just love having all the pheasant hunters there. Yes. Yeah. I think, I don't, I don't know what their state bird is, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's a pheasant. So I run a, tur- a tournament up there and this is the most fun thing I think ever. I mean, my hunting tournaments was a blast, but I was always hunting solo with my dog, but there's an event up there that it's in Huron where you have a team of six. And they draw land. So there's like banquet three nights and everybody stays at this one convention center and there's a restaurant there. So everybody's just together all the time. you got your team. Everybody makes like shirts the same and everything. And so you draw random land. You've got a guy that's going to tell you about the property, a scorekeeper, and then you go out there and you get, you get until like four o'clock to hunt. And you know, it's, it's who's on birds and who gets lucky and, you know, who gets the best land and the closest best land to check in. You know I mean? There's just so many variables with it, but it is a blast. Even though it's a competition, you kind of for, forget about the competition because you're having so much fun with your people. You and, sure. you know, contributing to really good causes. What, uh, how many birds have you? South Dakota has a limit of three apiece. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So that's the limit is three, three per shooter. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love it there. I wish I could stay in South Dakota more often. So when you said, Hey, like we should get a group, go there. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, love it. I actually had, had a, Oh, go ahead. I had another, um, younger couple bought a lodge in, uh, just outside of Mitchell, I think. And they just had their first baby like last month and maybe in their early thirties and they are rocking it with a lodge. So I want to go there. They've got a lot of public land around their property too. So it's really cool that you can just stay in one place and hit up everything, get the dog work in. And yeah, because once you get there, you just never want to leave. (laughs) I got a, one of my backgrounds that's not for zoom for that one is, is the, my thunderstick background there that just the sun setting over, over the river and you know the rolling the rolling hills it's beautiful it's beautiful country yeah south dakota is great and so well so have how many times have you been back like have you been able to just become addicted to the i've been there three times three times so for me that's it's pretty uh pretty solid to go back somewhere three times so i like to experience (laughs) places so (laughs) so is that the only wing shooting you've done 
Yep. Yeah, it is up up there. So really, I keep I, I keep trying to uh, set up a, a a duck hunt with Phil, but you know the, the timing just never seems to 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 pan out. I I got I got two other two businesses I'm you know starting up and running, so my my time is a uh, pretty pretty allocated. So, but uh, I did just get a rabbit hunt in with him. Yeah, I saw those pictures. Well, we talked about you coming along with us, going and and joining the foul life at camp. You need to make time for that one. Okay, I just need the dates so I can put it on my schedule. All right, we'll get you those. <laughs> yeah, I can't promise you the weather though, but it is it is usually warmer um, than having to hike those fields with the blizzard wind and yeah and all you got is your gloves and your jacket you can't wear too many clothes because then you can't shoulder your gun yeah it's a mess I, wing shooting though is just you're in the brutal weather asking yourself why in the heck do i choose to do this like i'm choosing to walk these fields and have blisters all over my feet like i made this choice to do this and then as soon as you get back two hours later you're like already planning the next day like i can't wait to get back out there isn't that, isn't that funny? It's, we quickly forget the, the misery of things, right? <laughs> yeah. so, or we enjoy maybe, the pain of it. I don't know. I don't know. That is, I think that is true. It's maybe it's just in human nature or those that seek to be a little bit different to always strive and uh, to, you know, to, to do stuff that the normal people wouldn't do. And that's fine with me. Yeah, well, I will tell you too, like the motivation for me is the dogs. I mean, at one point I've, I've had a lot of dogs right now, you know, I only have four, but when you have the experience shooting over your own dog and having your dog bring a bird back, it just, it changes it. It ups the excitement and, and like the memories and everything. Like it's so addictive. And that's why I got to tournament hunting because we could do it all the time and I could win trophies and money. And what's better than that? Being out there with my dog, living it up, you know, and the adrenaline rush of getting that done in three minutes, bagging five birds in like a 10 acre field in three minutes is a party. That is a party. Yeah. How much time do you spend uh, with your dogs each day, like training or just uh, exercising? Uh, it really depends on the day. Like my lab's with me all the time. She, she's laying right here right now but um the short hairs they need exercise every day so somebody's getting them out every single day and giving them attention and stuff so i have uh three of those right now in one lab so it's not so bad it's been a lot worse <laughs> what uh when it comes to, i mean those dogs are burning you out there all day with them they're burning a lot of a lot of energy you know they're they're, they're pushing hard to the only thing that's going to get them is the heat and it's got to be you know in the 80s for them to for the for you to see it working on them yep yep the those the short hairs just go all day long go what uh how much are you uh how much are you feeding them each day you know uh <laughs> they they really don't eat that much um just like scooping uh, almost two full scoops two full scoops some bad yeah bad. once a day yeah nope i mean they don't eat like a horse <laughs> they're tiny what? though i have smaller dogs you know um my females are 45 pounds 40 to 45 pounds piece they're tiny we just uh 
we had one family dog. Uh, she was a chocolate lab and 13 years we had her and we just, we put her down a few days before Christmas. So we're still in the, the morning, morning period right now, but we're talking about, we're going to get ourselves uh next time we hear very soon, go in and get a couple dogs so they can have a chance to grow up together and play together. You got any suggestions there? Um, I wouldn't get them at the very same time, but I would, I would definitely for your lifestyle. How old are your kids? Daughter 17. Oh, so, oh, that's going to be hard. Cause then she's going to get it and love it and then go to school. Mm -hmm. I would get a lab. I mean, my oldest, she was in college. She snuck a dog in, stayed in the dorm all week, went to the baseball game, throwing marks in the lawn outside the dorm. She went to ag school though. They might have a more lenient rules towards hunting dogs there, but um, yeah, I don't think that you can go wrong with getting a lab and having a family dog and just having that switch for inside and the things that you like to do. I mean, you can send it to training and have your own pheasant dog. That That's probably where I'm, I'm looking because I would like to be our, uh, our, our lab, you know, she was, she was very docile. She wasn't an outdoors, outdoor dog at all. You know, she very much liked staying indoors and it would, uh, in the next phase of my life, because now that military is behind me, I'm, I'm allocating and have more time to be able to do the more of these, uh, outdoor things. And, and hunting is one of them. I really want to put more on my plate to do and just connect more with nature. And so, I would love to have, I, I want, you know, at least one of my dogs to be able to go with me and, and be part of the experience. Well, then here's the perfect plan. You find the trainer that produces the dog that you want to own, right? This, that produces the ideal dog for you. Then they help you find a puppy. You get that puppy and you keep it. And then when that dog is like, if you get a lab, like five, six months old, and it goes off to training, that's when you can go get the other puppy. So you're not having that absence of your dog going off to training. So your dog will be in training, depending on how much you want it finished. It could be anywhere from four months to eight months or a little longer, 10. Then you get that dog back. Then the other dog's old enough. It can go to training. You can, you know, start your first season with one dog, mm -hmm. get your feet wet with one dog, traveling with one dog while the other dog's in training. And then you'll be a pro at it. And then you'll have two dogs. And because if you're pheasant hunting, you need more than one dog. Sure. A lab unit is not going to last the whole time. You got to switch them out. So that's a perfect plan right there. Well, you're always traveling, right? So you have a, you have a trailer you tow behind and yet yeah. four of them with you. Yeah. I mean, I started the season. I still had client dogs at that time. I had 15 with me at once. Wow. And I dropped it down to eight and now I've got it down to four. And duck hunting and stuff i just don't have the time to work them so if, you, if, I, if you're just upland hunting you're switching dogs all the time then you need more multiples but i don't have any trainers in the kennel right now either so i don't have any client dogs it's just mine and i kind of like taking this little break to really you don't think about how much time you spend with everybody else's dog and then your dog like she sleeps in the bed with me at night but then i'm not really hanging out with her right yeah, that's what happens, you know, when you start getting into that, you're, you got to pay attention to everybody else's, everybody else's dog, and then yours kind of drops off. And, yeah. 
and it ha well that's just rea uh, normal i guess reality in anything it's like the builder is the one who has all the things broken at his own house because <laughs> he's so busy fixing everybody else's well i'm excited about getting out pheasant hunting and i i think that you'll have to bring your daughter get her out there she love that I would love for her to do it. She was, she's a, she is a competitive figure skater. So she likes to be in, in, inside uh, a lot. And so it's uh, breaking that, breaking that mold to get her, to get her outside to experience nature and things of that, and things of that nature. She has, she has been shooting with me many times, but uh, actual out in, in the field and, and hunting, it's not something I've, I've uh, been able to cross a bear. So if you got any tips there, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> Get that puppy. Get the puppy with the mission of it being the pheasant dog. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's happened a lot. I actually coached um, a guy that I was running tournaments with. His daughter wouldn't get serious with him because she really was nervous that she would let him down, like her expectations. She wasn't going to tell her dad that because she's like this real big tough girl. You know, but I started giving her some shooting lessons and all. And so the truth came out. Well, I just saw that she actually won second in a youth tournament. So now like she just got her confidence built up and, and found her own way and, and the, and realized like her dad's not going to put the pressure on her. You know, she gets great dogs, multiple title dogs, and she just gets to go out and have fun. So I think it's just getting out there and just, you know, having that attachment you're like oh well i do have a hunting dog i'm gonna take pride in this like that stems a whole nother emotion to be connected to that world i don't know if i would hunt as much or want to be out there as much if i wasn't with my dog yeah i mean that's that's the one thing that really you know sucked about the military aspect and always being gone is you missed everything right and so in the dogs they age so much quicker and next thing you know it's you you wake up and you know our our, our lab could barely walk up the stairs like how did this happen you know like I remember when she was just a tiny puppy and and but so i'm definitely on board with you where this the next are i'm glad that the next time we get a, a pet and you know, her dog, it's going to be around and actually be able to do so much more and experience, you know, it's training and, and hunting with it and just connecting more with it. Cause I really do think we, you know, I, I hope a lot of people don't take for granted like what it is that, that dogs really provide for humans, right? I think we get so much more from a dog than a dog gets from us right it's just they're they're a life partner oh know? totally uh and we were just talking about that the other day about especially like gun dog people we just tend to be so sentimental and emotional and uh oh like just super excited and appreciative because everything is about our dog like we have kids right well i know you have a daughter but we're always talking about the dogs it's like mm -hmm. people just promote their dog or you saying um like going to a preserve or something you know everybody's gonna lend you all your gear and all this stuff well if you just sit down with somebody and just ask about their dog you've made a friend for life sure yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And most of the time you remember somebody's dog's name and forget theirs. (laughs) That's true. You know, that's so true. Or you just identify them with about their dog. Um, But it's one thing, like I've drove all the way to Nebraska. Never, we never got on birds and in like the first two days where we were just doing our wild bird hunting, but then we got into a competition, another one of those hunting competitions I was out there for, and my dog ran so good. And it was like, man, I really got skunked. I just drove two days to the sand hills, and that's brutal. Everything there's out to poke you and bite you. And um, and and I just drove back the whole way home, just so excited that my dog made me look so good and it was my first time there you know even though we never got a limit or anything who even cared I was so proud of her it was her first trip there so I don't know it really does change the perspective and I've I've not been motivated to be a big game hunter I mean I I was raised in a family that deer hunted and turkey hunted but I just don't want to sit in a deer stand but I will literally drive all over the country and I do almost every single season with my dog yeah, it's just a totally different motivation. Well, you're getting to experience so much more from that. And I think it's where I, I don't I don't like the deer stand component either. I, I would much rather do backcountry. And even if that was, you know, bow, bow hunting aspect or or just, you know, where I go elk hunting out in Colorado and out in Telluride area, that's just, you're just out in the mountains, right? And you're trying to, you're, you're not waiting around and you just, you gotta, you gotta hunt. You gotta actually do hunt. And, uh, we've done some turkey hunting in, in Nashville outside of uh, Nashville area. And, you know, everyone, I, I remember the first time I ever went turkey hunting and they were, they were just like, this is how you, how you have to hunt turkeys. And so it's interesting, like hearing how you, each animal has a different style that you have to, to have to hunt them. And, and of course, I'm, it can be a little stubborn at times. And so like, well, I'm not going to just sit around and wait for these, these turkeys. I'm actually going <laughs> to stalk them. Yeah. And so like, you can't stalk turkeys. I mean, at least that this is what I was being told. I was like, what do you mean you can't, I'm just going to, I'm going to low crawl through the field and I'm going to maneuver on, on the turkeys. And that's exactly what I did. And they just were mesmerized that I was being active in the process instead of, you know, uh, you know, not reactive, but just stationary. I was like, I I don't have the attention span to just sit around. I've I've only known just a couple people that would like sit in a blind to turkey hunt. Like, but they move around, like, unless you roost them, how do you know where to go? I, I, I don't. I don't know. I wish I, I wish I had an answer to that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even need to worry about it. Cause I would rather just be chasing pheasants anyways. Sure. That's, that's, that's like, true. Show me to the sloughs. I just, I'll stay in, in the, in the water until I get too old. I mean, I will say after I ended my season last year in North Dakota, and that was, that was tough. That was a lot of walking and a lot of cattails and that can get miserable, but that's where they are. Mm-hmm. what uh how so in throughout your year how many how many hunting trips do you try to mm, maybe three a month okay so that, that has you going 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, my goal is to pull out of the house, like open and dangerous, not come back until it's over. Like come home for Christmas, you know? Okay. Yeah. Just- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You got to knock the cobwebs off the door, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. The house gets turned upside down. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I'm I'm never home. I got home yesterday from Talladega and I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm actually going to Nashville. It's turkey season. So we're going to go up to Nashville and outside Nashville. Yeah. So we're, that'll be fun for, you know, three or four days. And then, you know, it's just back to work. So, um, it's just, it's just the way that it is. I mean, I'm fortunate enough. I stumbled into this. I had no idea that the outdoor industry offered these things. I just got a dog and I just loved it. And then if a door opened, I just said yes and walked through it. And I, I didn't realize what I was doing until I turned around. I was like, holy smokes. Like, I think I'm onto something, you know? And so it was just really crazy how this whole thing evolved. Um, I had blinders on and I, I ended up with a shooting coach who helped me so much with my mental game and changed my life. Like I say, my shooting coach pretty much gave me a life. And then I was just so addicted to what this, this upland world and the lifestyle brought into my life and how it's molded my kids and stuff. I was like, I don't ever want to leave it. So however I can figure out how to stay in this every single day, that's what I want to do. Well, interesting. First of all, that's really awesome. I, and I, you know, for those that are listening, it's, it's one of those life lessons, right? Sometimes you just got to keep saying yes to things and you're not going to have all the answers and you're just going to figure it out. And eventually if you stay persistent with it and you have enough passion behind it and, and just keep saying yes to things that you'll end up making it into something. And so that's really cool because you know, if, if you, if you love what you're doing at the end of the day, you're going to keep doing it and it's not going to feel like a grind. And so, you know, you're going to keep waking up with a smile on your face, despite the fact that you, that you leave it opening day and you come back for Christmas. Right. So, it's not, I mean, it's not a glamorous life. Like it appears, you know, social media is sure just tells one side of the story, but I do feel like we've talked about, you know, with the hunters, if somebody's not out there sharing the truth of what's really going on, Um, it's just so easy to get caught up in your daily life and not go seek that information. So, um, you know, I've enjoyed being that and learning about it, being proactive about our gun rights and hunting rights. And so I just really choose to focus on, you know, the wing shooting world. Um, But somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to be a voice. Somebody's got to do it. And it, I think it's resonating because every single day, it seems like there's a, another state that's adopting constitutional carry, you know, and, and things of that nature. And, and, and that, that it all matters towards, you know, those of us that are gun rights advocates and hunting advocates and, you know, and bringing the message of what you got to have balance and, and, and order in, in the, the, the hunting in the, just basically the world of uh, the animal kingdom, right? If, you know, natural predators, if you, if you didn't have a lot of hunting and in the populations of, of certain animals would get out of control. And that's really important that, that we have that to do that type of stuff. But you mentioned, uh, and I remember talking about this before when we were, we were on the phone, but you mentioned your like 
your performance coach and your and your mental coach. So we mm-hmm. we share we share that uh, that person in common, right? And so I would love to hear your perspective on on uh, Lanny Basham and. Oh, okay. So that is really cool because Bill had told me about this. Yeah. Um, my coach is certified in all of their programs. And so what happened was I was just teaching ladies pistol basics and hosting some deer and turkey hunts here in the South and ducks unlimited locally reached out to me and said, we want you to ho- like host us a lady shooting day at this private farm with this gorgeous five stand. I was like, heck yeah, I've shot stuff my whole life. I mean, literally like I just took my grandmother's she's 84. She shot a deer this past season. Like everybody in my family shoots. So I thought, well, I can keep everybody safe, do my little safety thing, all this stuff. I had no idea what I was doing, but I didn't know that until I got into it. Moving targets is a totally different ball game. So, you know, we had fun. I just kept them on the one bird that I could keep them hitting, you know, and then um, I went back to our committee and I said, boys, y'all just about out of me as a total fraud, you know, like we got to get me some help. Like I loved this, but I know what I don't know now. And, and I need to figure it out. So they're just a bunch of um, like recommendations. I found Demas and he gave me Lanny's book with winning in mind. My first lesson, he saw, I was a total basket case. I had made every mistake. I had the wrong gun. I had terrible eye dominance issues. Like I learned the hard way through the whole thing, but that book is like next to the Bible to me because I didn't realize, and I don't know if I ever would have ever been able to reach my full potential if I had not gone through this process. And I shot with him six days a week for two and a half years. And I was having to drive an hour and a half each way over the mountain. And I don't know how I got that time in my life. Looking back, I'm like, there's no way I could ever get away with that now. It was like God wanted me to go through that process and learn about myself and learn about the garbage and the baggage that I was hauling around, how it was holding me back. Um, just the way that we communicate, right? Uh, the Bible says life and death's in the tongue. Well, Lainey teaches us exactly what that means. And so not only do I believe in his um, system, which Demas is a tax attorney, he does a lot of business coaching. He's not a full-time shooting coach. He's just really good at it. Um, but he also introduced me to, um, parenting champions. Mm-hmm. And so I raised, I raised my girls. Like that is my favorite. I don't know, like self-development system. I there's, it's just amazing what he did and how he learned his skills through being the underdog in the shooting world and, and just realizing, wow, like I have something special and I need to share it with the world. And it was so simple. But it's it it changed my life. You know, it's it's a it's it's a fascinating story of how that and, and not a lot of people know who that is. And so if, if they have an option after listening to this, they really do need to pick up those those books. But I believe it was Lanny was an Olympic shooter in the 70s. 70s, yeah. He got a gold medal. And he was like the underdog. Yeah. Never won. But his uh his protege and it'll become a guy named Todd Bender and Todd Bender is the all-time winningest uh, skeet shooter in, in the in the world and so I think he has like 20 something world championships which is insane because being you think about you know you got to shoot 
uh, 500 in a row. And if yeah. you miss one, you, you're probably not going to win the count, you know, win the, the competition. So, well, uh, when I was, this all is relevant to Thunderstick component is because the guy who I mentioned was the father-in-law of, of Lou, who you met out in Vegas when we we're all there. He started picking up uh, skeet shooting. And so he wanted to go and learn right from the best. So he hired Todd Bender and got in the whole uh, winning in mind uh, Basham methodology and you know, he's in his late fifties, early, early sixties and ends up becoming a, in under two years, ends up becoming a, a national and world champion. And I love that because and, that same thing happened to me 17 months after my first tournament, I won state and I was the only female in my class. And it wasn't because I was amazing. I honestly think it was because of this mental management program that allows you to be your best self. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's about canceling the noise, right? It's like, you just gotta, whatever's happened in the past does not matter. You got to focus and reset. And if you're not, you know, you got to understand yourself in such intimate detail that if it's doesn't feel right at that moment, you need to pause for a second, make it right. And then get after it. And so how to protect that. Yeah. And how to protect that. Right. And so interesting i mean it's it's one of those components of you know nobody wants to talk about the you know 20 awesome shots you had they want to talk about the one that you messed up or what what went wrong you know potentially wrong there and that's when you just gotta like you know walk away and go i'm not i'm not gonna ingest that Mm -hmm. the negative components of that because that's what gets cemented into your subconscious and and what you focus and think about and it's like it's when you it's it's why you'll hit a tree if you if you keep looking at the tree even though you're trying to avoid it because that's the only thing you can focus on you can't see the path through the woods right so you just see the the tree that's the giant wall and so uh yeah so it, it was really intrigued i was like wow it, it was uh cool that you had you one knew of it and then you took it to the next level of just consuming it and going all in on it and so now it's like you're oh i'm two. like you're number one groupie yeah. for that program sure. for sure and i and when i was hosting hunts especially doing ladies clinics that book was always in my drawings like one of my giveaways and i've never been connected with them i would have loved to have had the time to go through the program and be certified myself and strengthen that because i feel like i just have a tip of the iceberg I've read the book, I've put it into practice, but I think, man, there's no way, like when you get there and you understand and you just get the door cracked, you realize like, man, if I could have the time to put into myself and get that door all the way open, there's absolutely nothing I could not accomplish. And it's not about shooting. It's about living. It's about relationships. Everything that he does, the mindset that he puts you in like you said, it eliminates the negativity. It allows you to find common ground with people you don't think you can get along with. It it allows you to forgive yourself. It allows you to not hold grudges. It just puts you in just such a positive, like, I don't know, champion mindset. Really what he does. 
It is a champion mindset, right? It's it's one of those components of I, I think you know Todd had mentioned. I asked him other when I was first becoming a a Medal of Honor recipient. You know, it was like, how do you, this is totally different because it's it's our highest award in the military, and I was like, how do you how do you how do you? I was asking him from an aspect of how do you navigate how do you navigate having these type of certain honors or things that you want, right? When you're at the, when you're at the pinnacle, when you're at the best of the world, there's somebody else that's always trying to knock you off that, off that pedestal. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you, uh, how do you protect yourself from that? And I think one of the greatest comments he ever said, and it was just, it was, it was, not, it was from a very point of confidence, not of a area. It, it was just like, I'm never going to apologize for how good I am. Good. That's right. Right. That's what my coach so. says. It's like, and that is the thing. You can't apologize for being good, but he'll say getting to the top is the easy part. Grasshopper. It's staying sure. there. Staying there. Right. Staying there. And I, I love that we have that program in common because when you're in it, it you are obsessed about it. Like that and my bird dog life. Those are two things that you can just talk about all day long because it is transformational. It is. It is. It's because uh, a lot of people think that once you get to the top, that it's all, you know, it's you made it. It's you gravy train. It. You yeah. made it. Nah, not even close. Not even close. You know. So yeah, that's what he says. Like the game started. Yep. Now you maybe I need to go back and read my book. <laughs> all my margin notes i'm probably gonna have to add it's a spiral note right now i'm out quick of read it's a quick read right so it's that's what's nice about it too it's it's uh easily it's consumed. simple i remember reading it thinking why is somebody having to tell me this yeah right because it is that simple it's not like it's this massively profound system but he puts you in the mindset to really have um a honest reflection of yourself and and just go through the dirt it's like the skeletons in the closet and you just get it all out the things that bring your insecurities you identify the emotional things through your childhood that has created the person that you are that you're not happy with you know like it just did all these things these emotional things i'm like i thought i was in shooting lessons but that was the thing that that holds people back is their insecurities. And until you get to the root of that, you can't be your best self. Well, we need constant reminders. It's just the way we are, right? It's, you know, it's, it's like a uh, great quote, right? It's repetition can't ruin a good prayer. And so uh, you, you have to some, if it's not in your face, like you, you, you were so busy in life, so active doing other things and just trying to manage the day that, it if you don't have these certain reminders you're you're going to forget about them so unless you adopt it as a way of life and, and be disciplined enough to create a habit out of it it's easily it's easy to forget and then you listen it again or you read it again and you're like man this is so simple but it speaks right to your soul because mm -hmm. you're you know if if you're the type of person who wants to be an achiever that's continuously reflecting on how they can be better, you know, stay in that humility component and just uh, really wanting to experience the best in life because, you know, life is short at the end of the day and you gotta, you gotta have these reminders and then you gotta have these, uh, 
uh, constant reflections. And so, I mean, you know, as well as anything, it's the algorithms and stuff like that of around like Instagram or, or things of those nature. It's what's really cool is when I open mine up, it's, it's just a constant stream of these motivational Monty. people, right? It's like- Yeah, and quotes, you know, motivational quote. people and quotes, yes. Yeah. And so as like, well, at least I, at least if, from a social media perspective, I think I'm looking at the right stuff. And because you need it, you need it. Cause you know, we all have good days and we all have bad days. And so, and I think that's, that's what- detrimental. God, social media can really- wreck you after you've done the work and that was the thing you got to protect it because the world's out there to break that back down and i think that that what that program does is it shows people that it's not hard i think people are looking for some unachievable or unattainable program to get them to where they want to go sure when really it's just you got to love yourself when you love yourself and you feel that your mission and your purpose is being accomplished, you put your best self forward. I, I agree with that. And I think in, you know, that all ties back to what is so fascinating to me about the hunting world and just being back outside with nature, you know, that, that internal, that instinct that's in us of the it's still ingrained in our DNA, the hunter gatherer components, right. And, and just connecting back with a primal component of ourselves. And that's what I love with it. And, you know, you're doing it with the dogs and, and that's why I, 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 I prefer hunting with, with dogs. And so it's really good to see that there's uh, the laws that are being challenged around that are being protected around in some in key states of in which Robbie does a good job of uh, great job good awareness. job of uh, bringing awareness to it is that you know because that would really that would really be that would really suck if if we had lost that component to be able to connect with you know man's best friend in a primal setting of hunting which is inherent something that's we've been doing for you know, tens of thousands of years. Yeah. So, Where you feel most alive. I don't know anybody that comes up from a hunting camp and says, God, it was so amazing to get away and just get outside, just get to the simple life. Nobody, nobody comes back and says, I'm so glad to be back in the grindstone. <laughs> you, know? Exactly. you know, I mean, concrete no one does jungle. that. And so, I'm so glad to be back in the concrete jungle or something, you know, well, for me, it's like, okay, so how do we take this all American hunter spirit that's so alive and how do we showcase that to people that that just haven't taken the opportunity because of opinions right because of the the things that the winning in my with mine they don't have that mentality right so they're missing that key component in their life they're just closed off opinionated set in their ways to something that you said is like total human nature to be doing this and we can't get them to just look outside their box and take in a different perspective you know and that was the entire mission of this entire podcast what I want to do is like for me I've been able to reach so many people through the dogs and my daddy he'll tell me you know this is like your calling it's like your mission field 
threw up one. I'm like, I literally show the love of Jesus through bird dogs. Like, you know, and I kind of feel like that. It's really crazy because some people just, they just don't know how to slow down and take in this great gift that we have here in the States. Yeah, I, I think there's the messaging nowadays is just, I think you had to just hit it from a whole bunch of different angles, right? It's some people would will speak to the fact of just, you know, you got to start off maybe small and just teach them that, you know, guns don't kill people, people do. And so you teach them about the respect behind that and why that matters, just like anything else, driving a vehicle, you know, or you got to have respect for the things that that could do, uh, that could cause a lot of harm. And so, or maybe, the, you know, there's other people out there that don't believe in and uh killing animals or like what's the point or what's the sense and you and so you can educate from a perspective of like well if we don't do this and this is what the data shows is that if if we don't curb this population there's no natural predators against it so it's going to overrun and then it's going to destroy this or that and so you can bring that aspect or or in, and on top of it you know like what thunderstick does is they take all the pheasants and they donate it to the local soup kitchens. Right. And so they're want to take one home. They're precious. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I could have pheasant year round, that'd be amazing. So, I mean, I mean, they cook it up too, but you yeah. know, they're, 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 there's helping no waste. Local, they're, yeah, there's no waste. They're helping local food banks. And there's, you know, people in town there that take the feathers and, and they make, you know, bow ties with them or things like that. So they're creating, creating jobs out of it too right so there there's there's a service component that you know happens with it too so i think there's just i think there's multiple ways to to educate and uh and then at the you know it just it i think we have to do that nowadays we can't just be one a one track pony on going you know it's it's just this or it's got to be we got to speak to multiple touch points because um, there's just a, such a diversity of thought nowadays that you never know what's going to stick with people. So that's so true. And the facts are there. I mean, you could, you could keep spitting out facts about why hunting is important. Tax dollars. I mean, you just keep going, but you got to change the heart of people so sure. that they actually can open up their mind to accept the facts. It's like, they're just cold and shut off. It's like, man, I dare them because you can relate to this. Well, maybe, maybe not, but there are times where like, if I'm flying or whatever, I don't take my concealed carry, right? So there, this has been my spiel. Okay. I've walked a day in their shoes. I've been without my gun, which I feel better when I have it, but I've walked in their shoes, but they've never taken the time to walk in hours and see why. And I have never found anything out of all the sports I've played you know, being a cowgirl, all the things that I've done, I've never seen women or men find more self-confidence in anything else besides shooting sports. No matter if it was pistol or shotgun, I didn't do any real rifle training, but there's something about the empowerment of shooting sports, whether it's clays or hunting, that just makes you feel bigger than life. Well, it's an equalizer. It's an equalizer. It doesn't matter 
how small or big you are, you know, it, it, you're, you're holding something that it's, a, it's an equalizer. And I think that just goes right down to your, the inherent nature of, of human beings. Right. And so it's a, it's a protective measure. It's, it's a security, it's a security blanket of sorts. So, I mean, you're yeah. going to feel confident if you know how to utilize or handle this thing that, could save your life or protect you from a threat or, or anything else, you know? So I, I, I do think that's where that comes from and just it, it triggers senses. Cause there's, there's a loud explosion that comes with it. Right. You know, you feel the recoil of the gun, you know, whether, and in your hands or against your shoulder. And so it's, uh, and it's a, I would say probably for some people, not, not in our circles, but in some, for some people, it might be a little taboo. So it's, you know, risque. Right. it's risque to, you know, to them. So um, yeah, either way it's, I agree with you is that I'm, I don't think I've ever met anyone that's, if they've never handled or fired a weapon that after they've done that been like turned off, I never want to do this again. I've never heard that either. I've never heard that either. It's more of wait. I got. I got to have one for myself. Yeah, I, I need to figure yeah. out how to, uh, uh, how to how to do this more, and so get comfortable of actually, you know, owning one or whatever. Well, so. with all of the experience that you've had, you know, your military background is just, you know, um, uncomparable to most, and then you getting into hunting later in life, like what do you, what advice do you have for those? Like even people like me that have hunted our whole lives. So there are things that you can't help but take for granted because you don't know any different. So what advice do you give us to reach out and like share our hearts with other people to keep, you know, just to showcase the American hunter's heart? Well, I mean, from, you know, I thought was interesting from one of the things I, I shared uh, at SEI was, you know, just because you're in the military, uh, I think there's probably an assumption, you know, that people have, you've been hunting before, or you own your own weapons. I mean, it was... I was 17 years in the military before I owned my own rifle. Well, is that a high percentage? You think? I I, I really do uh, think think so. I had some you know pistols, uh, handguns, but you know just I had all the toys I needed at work. You know, toys being being weapon, you know, weapons. Yeah. But uh, and so I I really think that it was you if you're talking specifically to about you know the veteran population or the mil military population is just not assuming that people have been out and hunting before uh to to make the ask and then you know that's one one aspect of that which but i think what you, maybe you're asking is how do we just talk about in the general populace and and we really just have to figure out how to how to get after our our children 
you know, the next, the next generation, right? I mean, thank God we have governors like DeSantis and, you know, they're going against this critical, you know, critical race theory stuff, you know, going against the new bills that are coming out that's pr protecting our kids from having to learn about gender identity stuff in the very, you know, at such an early age when they're, they're trying to figure out like, you know, the basics of being a child and right. had no idea about, you know, sex or anything else like that. But what's not being taught is, uh, the outdoor aspect, be getting in touch with nature, getting, you know, connecting with your surroundings, be, how to be social, you know, the, the benefits of being social with people, of sitting around a, a campfire at night and not having to be on your phone, right? And going back to that, you know, that, that caveman TV component, there's, there's really nothing more mesmerizing than, than watching a fire. Even when I get my daughter out around the fire, she'll, she'll sit there and just stare at that thing because it is absolutely uh, mesmerizing and it's fun to play with whether or not you're grilling stuff, you know, cooking hot dogs or s'mores or whatever the case may be on it. And so it's, it's, it's trying to bring that back into, into our, you know, curriculum. We have, you know, I grew up, we had shop classes and things like that. Why, why don't we have weapons handling classes? What happened to that? I, I live pretty close to, uh, you know, some various, you know, you know, weapons museums and like the NRA museum, if you walk in that and walk in that museum, they have the way classrooms used to look like when it was in the fifties and sixties. And you walked in and you put your shotgun or your rifle in the back of the class. That was normal. Yeah. That was oh, when, when I was a kid, my dad had a homemade wooden rack with his rifles in the back class of his truck, picking me up from school. Right. I mean, you do that now and you'll have, you'll have a, multiple squad cars. Oh my gosh. Well, I homeschool Hallie Jo. She's eight, but she went to school, public school for kindergarten. And I was always so scared because you, you go through the cattle. Well, I call it the cattle line, you know, and they yep. get your kid out and I'm like, how many shotgunners, bird hunters don't have shotgun shells in every door, you know, little pouch? Yeah. I'm like, she's going to kick one out one day and, and we're going to be in big trouble. You know, but that's your job. Like, where am I supposed to put them? And drop her off? I go to work, right? So it was during that time where I was shooting all the time too. So it was, it was just a weird thing because where I live is still a normal thing but you're not supposed to have them on campus, right? Because it's the sure. law, you know, but nobody like freaks out. And it's like, oh my God, there's a gun um, kind of scenario or a shotgun shell. But you're right. Like there are people that just don't understand that it's not used just for protection. There's a whole nother life out there with firearms. Yeah, it's a sport. It can be fun. It can be rewarding. You don't have to use it in this, scenario where it's extreme threat to oneself you know it, it can be incredibly just rewarding and fun to do and it's a it's a healthy outlet it's just we've lost a lot of respect in in our in our country and, and just civilization as a whole 
I think that's where it all stems from. I mean, it's, you know, everyone always thinking about, you know, what, what, let's look at the scenarios of the tragic events that surround like school shootings and stuff like that. And it's all typically around parents are involved in the kid's life. They've never been taught, you know, that there was never a, a healthy respect for, for what a weapon is, what it can do, what it's used for, you know, there, there, there isn't any of that. So we need to, we need to start with that. We need to figure out ways to make uh, education of that safe in our youth and not to be something that nobody wants to talk about because guns shouldn't just be for adults. It's why we have different sizes and, you know, categories of weapons. So you, you can start off younger. Do you imagine having like BBs shooting up cans at field day in elementary school right now? Wouldn't that be so awesome? Like line up all the Sprite and Coke cans and let kids be shooting BB guns at one of the stations at field day. That That, should happen. Archery too. That would be amazing to have archery field day. Right. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it should happen. It should happen, but there's just been such a stigma put on these stuff, you know, for no, for, for reasons that are taken out of context and out of proportion. And that's usually around the, the tragic components of the shooting of shootings. And so, but what gets glossed over is the statistical aspect of that. There's hundreds of millions of guns in this country. And there's millions and millions of law-abiding people that carry around these things on a daily basis and nothing happens. And, exactly. And it's because we've been taught respect behind them. We understand what it can, what it's doing. And just we have good character and good nature and not going to use it for unlawful means. Right. And so <laughs> it's, but we have to be involved in, our use lives we have to be involved in the process and i just think a lot of so many people are busy doing what they have to do in their daily lives that there's very few that are willing to take up the crusade to make you know the, that type of stuff reality so it's it's and good to have have, think- that's why we have it's great that we have organizations like you know sei and we have uh, Congressional Sportsman Foundation and, and things of that nature that are carrying carrying the the lion's share of, of the of the burden when it comes to keeping those rights protected and and carrying the message. And it also goes back to just values, like the values that you find at Hunt Camp aren't the values that you find in the inner city. No. So you know, and but you know. God, it's crazy to say like 40, 50 years ago, that was, it was just so wholesome. You didn't have the problems that we have today. So, um, you know, that's another thing that the hunting community, you know, offers is that you can trust your kids with, with this community is priceless. Priceless. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not too many, uh, industries can, can say that, you know, true. Not, not many industries can can say that. 
No, I'm grateful for this community. My kids wouldn't have the lives that they live. My oldest is branching out like she's going to be at CSF. I didn't, I didn't do that. I just put her in a, in a room and she found her own purpose. She found her own niche. She found her own way. Cause I would never want to do what she's doing. Um, but she absolutely loves it. And so I'm so grateful for the people that invested in me when I didn't know anything, right? Because it just trickled down. And so Hallie Joe's the same way. She'd rather be at hunt camp than do that. I mean, she's only eight right now. She might change her mind, but her sister cannot wait to get to DC and feel like she's making a difference on this massive scale. And reality is going to hit her when she gets there. It's not all, you know, what she's dreamt it up to be, but sure. um, at least we have a 19 year old that says, I want to make a difference in the hunting community. You know, I want to be, oh, that's, that's that a massive win. and that's a massive win. And, you know, if you're, uh, you know, your eight year old is, likes doing it now at least there's something inherent that's been ingrained in her very young age and she might grow and have other hobbies or interests and things of that nature but there's something still so vitally important the fact that she understands the world and can re and relate to it relate mm -hmm. to it i think is you got to figure out how to relate and once you can yeah. relate then you can start to understand and grow with something so well, Robbie and I were talking about how Ducks Unlimited is doing all their collegiate chapters and creating a community, right? Like regardless as, you know, funds don't stay local, like whatever people want to say about that organization, what they're doing right is they're creating a night that communities look forward to getting together to celebrate hunting. And so we need more of that because it doesn't need to be just one time a year. Like we need one of those every quarter. We need organizations to invest in that age group because that's where we got to, we got to grab them at, you know, that 18 to 26 age group and say, this is going to mold the rest of your life. Just like that, you know, if I had not sold out to shooting sports, I never would have got into middle management. I mean, what other industries like you need to be strong wholesome you know these these standards that are being forgotten so well what do you have any last words last advice for you know just staying rooted uh so you know it stay last words and last advice this is where you get to finally edit <laughs> something ah! I can't believe you don't no. have anything to say. We'll just, we'll just put in your speech here. No. In. So, you know, if my last words of advice has got to be around, if there's people that are listening to this, thinking of whether they want to get involved, do what you have done. And it was just start saying yes. Start off local, start off small. It doesn't have to be grandiose. Just start doing something. Spread the word, make it interesting, make it fun, recruit some more people and start doing it. What we don't want to have happen in our country because we're already have this really, really bad division that should not be. I mean, because we're at the end of the day, we're all Americans, right? We should, we should be thinking that way because if we don't, we're not going to have a country soon. And so, um, you know, we, 
there is a migration happening within from the left and the right of people migrating to areas of like-minded like-mindedness and and so there's there's going to be there's constant becoming concentrations of of both sides in in states and i i don't necessarily think that's a good thing because we don't want to create even more and more divide on subjects like this because it's one that's constant battleground second amendment's constant battleground hunting laws are constant battlegrounds you know especially you know god forbid when we have certain tragedies that happen and it's i think it's important that we have all these chapters in all these different states in all the different states and and that everyone's trying to do their part because it's got to really be a grassroots effort if it, right. it it's it can't be something that's ever forced down on people that will never fly and so if people out there that are you know maybe tuning in for the first time or or wondering more about this you know the the community and what the hunting world is all about and and really trying to find you know maybe they've tried everything else and from a camaraderie perspective and they just can't figure it out is just start getting involved like you said with like you ducks unlimited starting their local chapters around find you know find a shooting club and join it and just start to get familiar with it and then and then kind of kind of go from there because we need we need a army of citizens carrying the message because if we don't have that we're not going to have a message to carry in a generation and that would really suck. <laughs> so in a generation, you think it's that fast? Well, I mean, look how fast things move. I mean, it's the, the one nice thing about this country, this constitutional republic experiment that's been going on now since the 1700s is, is that we have checks and balances, right? So we have the ability, we have the ability to remove laws and change laws from people of prior but to get to that just like we did in virginia to get to that though people have to have the sense of desire and connectedness to want to change those laws and you know there's it's it's all revolves around the second amendment and and uh and there's obscurity in that too. Like, you know, try to go to New York and, and get a gun. You know, you're allowed to, but they just make the process so ridiculously hard that if you're in New York City, good luck ever trying to get a get a handgun. I mean, you're technically allowed to get one, but it it's, it might take you a, a incredibly long time to work through the process to be allowed to do it because they put so many different restrictions and laws on top of it that aren't preventing you from technically getting one. They're, they just make the, the process so painstaking that you just don't care to want to go through the process. Yeah. So they're um, conditioning for life without sure. firearms. Exactly. They're, they're doing exactly that. And so, 
it's uh yeah it's just that's my last piece of advice and hope is that you know it, these more and more of these grassroots efforts are happening i think you know the pendulum always swings in our nation which is nice and so i think it's swinging back more to some conservative values and to understanding that you know we have these constitutional rights but you can make amendments to the constitution right so yeah. Um, don't ever think now that would be incredibly, it's gotta be incredibly extreme to make that happen, but it's, it's, it's possible to, to do that. And so, uh, we just need, we need people to, to continue carrying that, carrying the message. And I, I was pretty I, fanatical I, a yeah, couple yeah. of years ago and just had this saying like, I'm, I'm voting for our second amendment first and foremost. And, you know, everybody can answer to Jesus for the rest. I don't care about anything else. That's just, but if we don't have our second amendment, we won't have America. That's right. So, I mean, and that's really just kind of where I got to. So it's like, that's where, that's where you've got to stay so that we can continue this fight. Cause I just could not imagine life with my poor bird dog, just staring at me wanting want to go somewhere but we got plenty of habitat out there we got plenty of habitat we just can't take our gun with us yeah right <laughs> thank god for sci thank god for sci yes well this has been so much fun it's so good to get to know you i look forward to sharing hunt camp we'll chase pheasants and call in some ducks this year that sounds like a plan i really appreciate it well how can people reach you follow you um, I know that you have so much going on and you still do tons of public speaking. Um, if, if you can see him, you need to see him in person. It, it will definitely be well worth it. Well, I'm always, uh, I, I don't know if you are able to, to post my handle uh, on, from IG, you know, or, or say we'll do at, that. At, yeah. Edward C. Byers, pretty straightforward. And then through there is a, a link to my personal website which is being redone right now and and uh that will that will uh you just click on that link and it will send me an email and that's how you can get a hold of me or you can try to dm me right through ig but i do do a lot of speaking engagements public speaking engagements for a variety of causes variety of sizes so from schools to to big conventions like SCI, to to private companies, to you know Fortune 100 companies, I, I go all all around, uh, share my story and my perspective on life. And uh, now I'm getting starting to bring uh, the hunting, my hunting experiences uh, into into the mix as they as they start to grow more and more. So, thank you so much for your service the things that you're, that you've done for our country and how you're continuing to share that story that you didn't just forget about it. You know, that you're, you're facing that every day because people need to hear it. And, and that's the way the world's going to change is by sharing that. And it's super emotional. So thank you so much. And um, thank you for spending time with all American wing shooting podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Have a great evening. Bye. Take care. I guess that's something you don't understand A ground of soap and a big machine I feel us all on the same beliefs Oh, a dollar and a credit card 
gotta 